Our reading this morning comes from Psalm 146. Psalm 146. Please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our Father, now that we have heard your word read in the midst of your people and now focus our attention on its exposition, we would ask for your grace. For we know that apart from you, we cannot hear what we must hear. We cannot see with spiritual eyes what we must see. And the aspects of our heart and our life which are out of accord, out of align with you, will not be brought into harmony, will not be brought into completeness and fullness if it is not for the work of your word on the wings of the Spirit doing its power within our midst. So we would ask as we come humbly this day, utterly reliant upon you, that you'd be mindful that we are but dust. You take into account our disposition, our brokenness, our weakness, and our desperateness to hear a word from you today that would be a living word that would come and would impart life to those who hear it. And so, Father, we would plead with you, would you please now send that Spirit who alone can do that work and humble us in this place at this time and work among us that you might lift us up and make us trophies of your grace. We need you. Come and meet with us, we ask it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it was earlier this week, those of you who live here in the Middle Tennessee area and were here on Monday and Tuesday, you, you might remember there was a thunderstorm that passed through one evening. Do you remember this? A lot of lightning, a lot of, a lot of loud thunder, a lot of torrential rain. It was walking out in the evening with one of my children as they wanted to show me that lightning that we sometimes see in the summer, the lightning that's off in the distance and it's flashing and it's kind of one right after another, but we don't hear anything, there's no thunder, that heat lightning, you know it's off in the distance and it's a sign that there's moisture in the air and that the potential for a system could be building. And so sure enough, we looked on the radar and we saw what many of you saw, this blob of red and yellow making its way towards Franklin and it was going to be here perfect timing just in time for the kids to go to bed and sure enough the storm came through and we watched throughout the evening for the next five or six or ten or twenty or thirty however long it was long hours of the night as that storm that was small just grew and grew and grew and would not end. It simply would not end. And like clockwork, within an hour or two, all of my kids were making noises upstairs and running downstairs and jumping into the bed with us and spent the night with us. We invested in a king-size bed a few years ago for this purpose. You know, parents, how often this happens where you're going to need that extra space at night in the bed. And the kids came down and they were with us. Well, last night we were going over the bulletin together and I was simply asking them and telling them, reminding them of where we are in our series on uh, the book of Psalms, finding our way to God. And we're looking at Psalm 146 and I said, you know what, the Lord focuses in this passage on explaining to us, admonishing us, teaching us that he is our great help. He's the one who comes to us in the midst of our need. And I said, do you guys remember Monday, Tuesday night when you came down and you jumped in our bed and you're scared of the storm? Why did you do that? I said, well, we did that because we, we felt you could, you could help, right? Something about being close to mom and dad in the midst of a storm that makes... The, the, the fear of the storm be a little bit less. It diminishes the, the, the emotional upheaval that's going on in light of these flashes and, and soundings. And I said, well, that makes total sense to me, that you would want the comfort of your parents in the midst of a storm. That makes complete sense. But here I want to be quite honest with you. I'm flattered that you think I would be helpful in the midst of a storm. But should the Lord determine to turn that storm into something that bears down on the home of the Sheridans and lets, you know, bad goes to worse and that thunderstorm becomes a tornado or it becomes something that would be devastating to our home, I can pretty much assure you that dad and mom are going to be very little help in the midst of a storm that's raging through our home. Because I simply don't have the power to speak to the wind. 
or to the rain or to the lightning to be able to bring it to peace and to calm. I don't have the ability to be your help to the degree that you need help in that moment in time of need. Now the realization is we all need a place to run in the midst of a storm. And it can be a real storm. It can be a marriage storm. It can be a parenting storm. It can be a work storm. It can be any kind of storm that you can imagine. The difficulties that we go through in life, we all need a place that we can run to in the midst of the storm. And in fact, it is the impulse, the inclination, the instinct of our heart to look for shelter for protection in the midst of the storm. In fact, I won't even have to encourage you to do that. You will just do it. And I don't have to encourage my heart to do that. I will do it. If I sense a threat, instinctively, I'm going to look for that which is going to be my protection, my help, and my aid in the midst of that threat. We all will run to a place that we think that will help in the midst of the storm. But here's the reality. Where it is we turn and what it is we think will really help is the big question of life. Where is it do you turn in the midst of those storms? Where is it that you go? To whom is it that you run when your life is quaking and you're in the midst of help? Who is it or what is it that you look to? Now, I want to ask two simple questions as we look at Psalm 146 together. And you know that part of my great desire with this series is we've worked expositionally through the book of Luke. We've looked through several topical series where we've dug in deep at various texts. We've looked at half of the book of Daniel. Last fall, Lord willing, we'll be returning to that again uh, later this year or early next year. In these months over the course of the summer, we are seeking to look very practically at the book of Psalms to learn what it means to commune with God and to be those who know how to approach the Lord and to pace in the truth of who God is to be able to bring comfort and change and transformation to our lives that we might be conformed in greater measure to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our hope. And so as I ask these questions, and as we look at Psalm 146 together, one of the main focuses is for us to be practical and to say, where is the psalmist leading us that we might experience the help of God? And so I want to ask two, I think, pretty practical questions. I want to ask first, why we're often lost and disappointed in our search for help. Why are we often lost and disappointed in our search for help? Because we often are. If we're going to be very frank about it, we often are. And we're going to get to some of that today. Why is it that we're often so lost and disappointed in our search for help? And what is the one place that we can turn to to find the help that we really need? Why are we so lost and disappointed in our search for help? And what is the one place that we can turn to where we can really get the help that we need. And that's important. What kind of help do we need? And figuring out who it is that we turn to for that. So let's start with this, why we're so often lost and disappointed in our search for help. And so we're going to jump into verses 3 and 4 first. And we'll circle back to verses 1 and 2 in just a second. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Look at what the psalmist says. 
He says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. Now the psalmist knows our tendency here, doesn't he? He knows that when we're in the midst of trouble or it is that we're seeking for help, it is our tendency to turn to the world, especially to men or to women, especially to men or women that we perceive are powerful, who have the leverage, the resources to be able to give to us what we believe will be for our help and for our need. You see, the psalmist here is speaking to the reality of the political sphere. He says, do not put your trust in princes. Put your trust in princes. We could substitute prime ministers or presidents. It must have to be a P. I guess it has to be a P. But it could be an emperor, right? It could be something else. But a great leader, a great political leader. It could be that the psalmist is actually saying, as you think about a prince, a prince is what? The future leader, the heir apparent. He's the one who is not yet king, but is going to be king. So you might begin to look at the candidacy of the persons who might be in a certain position and begin to think that I'm going to place my trust on the coming change, the coming future, the coming power that I see this particular person able to leverage for my purposes. And see, the psalmist knows that it's our tendency to think if we could just get the right people in the right places, you know, we can get that headmaster at our local school. You know, we can get that person as the chairman of our HOA. We can get that pastor. If we get rid of this pastor and get another pastor in, he would take us this way. Isn't it our tendency to let's remove that boss, get that boss in. If we can get just the right men, the right women in the right positions, then the right kind of change will begin to fall into place. It's our tendency to think that way. And you know what the psalmist is telling you? It's a lie. It's a lie. It's It's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand, and it's a history lesson that, sadly, it seems it's been very hard for cultures and nations and people to learn. But the psalmist makes it very plain in here as to why that's the case. Listen to what he says in Psalm 146, verse 3. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man, notice, in whom there is no salvation. In whom there is no salvation. Salvation. The psalmist is telling us we have a tendency to place messianic expectations upon those who are powerful, upon those who will rule, upon those who are over us. We put Savior-like, we may even put divine expectations about them being able to wave a magic wand, bring about change, execute justice, and fix the world and fix our lives in all the ways that we think that they can. We have a tendency to trust in men. Now, here's the trouble. Can men be helpful? Well, of course they can be. Of course they can be. In fact, the psalmist here is not saying that rulers are never helpful. He's not saying that we should never expect help or blessing to come from those who are rulers. Certainly, God has used men and women throughout history to be a blessing and to be a help to the nation of which they have given 
care. But instead, what the psalmist is trying to say to us is that as we consider the help that men and women and leaders can give to us, we must have the right sort or the right quality of expectation for help and for blessing. And we must not place expectations for help and blessing that only God can deliver because in a man, he is unable to bring salvation. He has no ability to do this. Now, if we just park here for a second and we think of what the Apostle Paul taught us in Romans chapter 13 about the institution of the governing authorities, what we find is that the governing authorities have been largely established for two reasons, if we want to just boil it down for a second. And that is to promote good and to punish evil. It's to promote good and to punish evil. And the definition of those terms are located right here in the Word of God as to what is good and what is evil. And the governing authorities and those whom the Lord has put in power are to be about the promotion of good as defined by God and the punishing and the minimizing of evil as defined by God. Okay, that's the call that's been given here. Now, if we look at Psalm 146, in fact, if we look at verses 6 to 9, what we actually find under those two headings, promoting of good and punishing of evil, we see ten characteristics that the psalmist outlines for us. Ten characteristics that are characteristic of God's rulership in the world. God's rulership, God's kingship. But I would like to suggest to you that if those ten characteristics of verse 6 to 9, which we'll look at in just a second, are characteristics of God's rulership and His kingdom and how His kingdom is manifested in the world, I would like to suggest to you they're a pretty good general sketch, a job description of sorts, as to what a man or a woman who is in leadership would want to reflect as those who are made in the image of God and those who occupy that place of power that is given to them by God. You follow me in that? That if this sketch about God's leadership and His rule is a picture of who He is in His character and His mission, then those who lead as faithful servants under Him, made in His image, answering His call, this is a pretty good general sketch or a job description of the kind of ruler that they are to be. And I want you to look at this list. We won't take long in it. I want to note it and then we'll circle back to it. I want you to see in verse 6 that the way God is characterized here and the way a faithful leader is characterized is one who is going to keep faith. This is one who is trustworthy. This is someone who when they say something, you can take it to the bank. That they say what they mean and they mean what they say and you can rely upon them. You know that when they commit something, when they promise something, that they're going to come through for you. That's a picture of God's leadership. It's a picture of faithful servant leadership. Secondly, they act justly. Look at verse 7. They execute justice for the oppressed. They have in mind those who are being marginalized, discriminated against, prejudiced against, those who are going against, who are, who are being, the laws are being used in such a way as to unjustly, in an unfaithful way, subjugate or hurt or oppress others and and the kind of leader that God is and the kind of leader that a true, faithful, believing prince would be is one who is advocating for and is executing justice for those who have no voice by which to do that for themselves. That's what we see here in verse 7. 
Thirdly, it says he meets basic needs. Verse 7, he gives good food for the hungry. He sees that there's needs and he wants to say, how could we better provide for those needs? How could greater provision, how could greater wealth accumulation be achieved? How could these things be achieved? This is the picture that he gives. There are basic meeting of needs that are a part of the focus of this faithful work of the Lord, reflective of good servant leadership. Fourthly, he grants immunity to those who are innocent. Verse 7, he sets the prisoners free. Those who have been falsely accused, falsely imprisoned, those who are behind bars, this servant leader has the ability to open those up and to be able to grant freedom where there was one great restriction. Fifthly, he gives healing to those who are hurt. Verse 8, he opens the eyes of the blind. He finds a way to put those who are in the best, who, who are in the worst possible scenarios to be put in context where they could be healed, be mended, where um, greater uh, health can be a part of the nature of the way that the country or the church or whoever the leader is, is operating or working. In this case, it's reflective of how God works. Sixthly, he serves the downcast. He lifts up those who are bound down, those who are depressed, those who are hopeless. He gives them hope. He gives them encouragement. Seventh, he rewards the good. Verse 8 tells us that he loves the righteous. He looks over the righteous and he wants to promote that. He wants to encourage that and put it forth as an example. Number 8, he protects the foreigner. Verse 9, he describes it this way. He watches over the sojourner. The one who could be taken advantage of. The one who may be outside of the citizenry. The one who would be an easy pot shot to be able to be robbed or taken advantage of. He watches over the sojourner. That should be a sign of the way our God loves us and also the way a faithful servant would love us. Nine, he defends the powerless. Notice how he says this in verse nine. He says, he upholds the widow and the fatherless. Those who cannot advocate for themselves and does not have the power to do so. He is their advocate. And, and 10, he punishes evildoers. He promotes that which is good. Put a long list of that. And he punishes evil. He punishes evildoers. The way of the wicked, verse 9, he brings to ruin. And so he executes justice swiftly. He punishes that which is evil. He seeks to root it out from its context. This is the sketch that Psalm 146 gives us. 10 characteristics. Now, is this exhaustive? It's probably a sampling. But it's a good sampling of a scope and sequence of the kind of care and love and service that the Lord gives to us and the kind of care and love that leaders, even princes in this case, would be effective in reflecting if they're going to walk in accordance with the character of God. So if we were going to evaluate all of our various leaders, so your boss being one of them, or... or or present administration. If we're going to evaluate and take it, we would push them through this grid, and you know what we would come out on the other end? We, we might even say, okay, well, you know, the, our boss is a bad boss. We only see two or three characteristics. Well, um, you know, maybe this, this leader is, is kind of a mixed bag. We see five or six characteristics. Well, this, this person's pretty strong. You know, we see, we see seven to eight Characteristics that they're, they're pretty leading in terms of their, their expression of how it is that they're, they're leading, what it is that they're doing. But you know what? The psalmist would say, you know what? That's not the point of this passage. 
The point of this passage is not merely to press someone through a grid to evaluate leaders. The goal of this passage is to realize that no human leader measures up to the leadership that's expressed by the very character of our servant God here in Psalm 146. No leader is able to do this. There, there is no man who has the trustworthiness where you can say under any circumstance at all times he or she will come through for you in their place of power because the realization is they are a broken people. The realization is there is sin that is characteristic of their heart and life just as is characteristic of your heart and, and my life. That there is a lack of faithfulness that's at the very core of the problem that we always find ourselves in when we place our trust in men. A lack of faithfulness. You've seen this over and over in many, many contexts. You, you know what it's like to be disappointed by someone. You know what it's like to have expectations of someone and then to have those expectations dashed in a moment because you were surprised. You never thought they would do something like that. You never thought you would hear that come out of their mouth. And, and what is often the case in our lives is that far too often we've had a naive assessment of the leaders that are in our lives, but also people generally in our lives. And many times we have invested a kind of expectation that only God himself can satisfy. And some of us struggle with this in a almost serial fashion. Our parents disappointed us long ago. And then we turn to our friends and we've eliminated them kind of one by one as they failed us. And then we got married because of course that solves everything. And then our spouse began to fail us, and now we just have to put up with him or her. And, and we've come to a place where we're cynical. We've come to a place where we're bitter. We've come to a place where, you know, I've just kind of seen man, and I know how much he fails. I've just, you know what I do? I just, if I'm going to do something, I'm just going to have to do it myself. I just, I'm going to rely on myself. And, and what you're going to find out in short order is that relying on yourself doesn't work too well. Because wherever you go, there you are. And the problems that you're having with every other person in the world is, is actually a deeply held issue in your own heart. That you and I are unfaithful. We are broken too. And guess what? If other people fail you, you fail you too. You will too. Psalm 146 is telling us that no matter what the situation is, that men are limited in power, they're mixed in character, and they ultimately, they have no permanence. Because as Psalm 146 says here, the day that he breathes his last, his plans perish. They're over. They're gone. You know, so let's, let's just let's dream for a minute that the, the best possible ruler that you can ever imagine gets put in place. And guess what happens? His term runs out. Let's just say he does everything perfectly. His term runs out. Okay, his term doesn't run out. He dies. And then what happens? The cycle begins again. It's wired this way, you understand. And you think, oh, man, let's get the perfect guy in place. And then he gets in place and we think, oh, now everything that we want is going to happen. And we realize that, wait, he's not as powerful as we thought he was. 
How many of you have been in leadership before and you've gone, this is all the changes I'm going to make, and you go to make the changes and you go, oh, this is hard. Oh, you mean I can't just say it and everybody will do it? Um, or I can't just put a committee together and they'll figure it out. Like it actually, like people wor work against you. And uh, you, it's really hard. And what you come to find out is you can actually have the right person and really not be able to do very much. Being hamstrung by structures and systems and, 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 the, and the direction of a heavy laden culture in one direction or another and to try to stem tide. We lack power. We lack faithfulness. And, and we can't stick around forever. This means that if we're putting our basket, our eggs in the basket of trusting in man, that one way or another we're going to be disappointed. We've set ourselves up for a kind of failure. And this is why in Psalm 146, the psalmist says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. Blessed is he whose hope is in the Lord. Now, why is God our help and blessing? Well, for all the reasons man is not. Because God is absolutely powerful in the fullest sense of the word. He is definitionally the source of all power, and he reigns over all power, and every power that's in the world is derived from him. In fact, the psalmist in this passage is making this point very clearly when almost to what looks like a little bit of a throwaway description in verse 6. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord of his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. Okay, do you know a ruler who's done that? You know anybody who's done that? You don't know one who's done that. Nobody's done that. It's like this. You've been at the, you've, you've been at the, the dinner party where you're telling the story, you know. I, I climbed, you know, Lookout Mountain in Georgia. You're telling, it was great. It was awesome when I did it. And I got on the top and it was just beautiful. I saw these, you know, this, what is it, the seven states you can see up there or whatever it is at Lookout Mountain in Georgia. I saw it. I went and did it. And the other person's listening very politely uh, at the dinner table. And then they, they go, you know what? I've, I had climbed a mountain, mountain once. It's called Everest. Have you heard of it? <laughs> yes, I have heard of it. I, I'm ashamed of my Lookout Mountain story all of a sudden. Um, almost like that's happening here on the pages of Psalm 146. It's like, you put your trust in man. This guy's really, you know, this guy's really got the power. This guy's really got the gifts. And we said, and God made heaven and earth. And the sea and all that it contains. It just, it's very clarifying, isn't it? Sort of puts everything in perspective. Is your trust in a man who is created, who's on the earth, and is over the power that is around him, the power around him is pushing him in all sorts of ways, or is your trust in the one who created power, who is the source of all power, the, the one who has the ability to actually bring to an end that which he decrees and that which he determines. Do you see, God is unlike man in terms of his power. God is unlike man in terms of faithfulness. Some of you caught this in verse 6 as we were going through that job description. I said... A faithful leader keeps faith, and he does. But notice how he really says it in verse 7. He keeps faith forever. Forever. There is, there is no shadow of turning with him to steal a line from one of our hymns. 
There is, there is nothing about this God that has an underbelly, a dark side, or he's saying one thing to one group and another thing to another group. He doesn't have to shade his language in certain ways. He doesn't have to tiptoe through the tulips to be sure everybody feels good about things. He, he is a God who is entirely faithful with full integrity in terms of his holiness and his character. We have him as the one who is our faithful leader. He is the definition of faithfulness. That's what we mean when we describe God as one who is holy. He is absolutely internally, in terms of his heart, his being, and his character, with regards to his actions, he is completely one. How many times do you and I think something, believe something, and do something else? Think something, feel something else. Feel something, and then do something else. We are people divided, double-minded, split. God is not like that. He is perfectly pure and holy, and it's absolutely aligned with everything of who he is and what it is that he does. You can totally rely upon him. His ways are often higher than our ways. His ways are mysterious. To say that God is holy and absolutely consistent, you could totally bank on him, doesn't mean that you'll always understand him in the moment. But it does mean that when you don't understand him, you can trust him. When you don't understand him, why he's doing what he's doing, you can trust him. You know that his higher end, his higher way, his mysterious way is so good, is so good, and is so inscrutably wise that what looks to me like a questionable thing that he did here will so be resolved when we have the clarity that he gives us when we're basking in his glory at the end of the age, when Christ returns, and we'll look back upon that moment and while we were scratching our heads, and we will be a song of praise as to what it was accomplished. We appropriate faith in that moment, and we know that we can trust the character of our God. You see, he doesn't lack in power. He doesn't lack in faithfulness. Guess what? He doesn't lack in permanence. He doesn't lack in permanence. You, you see, when you're trusting in a prince, we, we struggle with this point. His turn gets up. He dies. I love how the psalmist ends here in verse 10. He says, the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. His power is absolute. His faithfulness is complete. His permanence in terms of rule is forever. So Here's the other possible, the very encouraging thing. He's never up for election. His position, nobody vies for it. And right now, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the right hand of the Father, rules and reigns on high. He moves all things according to the counsel of His will. And that has not changed and will never change. And is your one and only trust and confidence. One and only. One and only. Here's the great thing, though. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. You know, some investors will tell you, you know, don't put everything in one basket. Forget that when it comes to this. This is the only basket worth your investment. Because every other basket that you're investing in is going to let you down. Let you down in power. Let you down in faithfulness. Let you down in longevity. If you build your life on that, 
is going to give way and you're going to feel the shakiness and the disillusionment and the discouragement that comes from that. You've got to look through that to the one and who will reign forever, who will rule forever. Now, this is why at the end of this passage and at the beginning of this passage, we are hemmed in by praise. Okay, we're hemmed in by praise. This is one of the, the, the five final psalms in the Psalter, and they're called the Hallel Psalms or the Hallelujah Psalms. And the reason is they begin with the word Hallelujah, praise the Lord, and they end with the word Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Now, if you look at Psalm 147, 48, 49, 150, the same thing is true. So the last five psalms, these Hallelujah Psalms, these praise psalms, are pointing us to the one in whom we need to praise. Now, here is a really important question. Because as we're called into praise, the psalmist here says, praise the Lord, it's a command. Everybody do it, it's plural in its nature. Then he says, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Personal, I must praise the Lord. You must praise the Lord. We must praise the Lord. And then he says, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And when you hear the psalmist say that, I want you to hear him resolving to praise. Because you know what? We need resolutions to praise because it's not always easy to praise. You don't always feel like praising. There are things going on in your life. There are things going on out there that you just go, I don't I don't have a voice of praise. I don't sing, want to sing praises. Well, the reason you don't want to is that you're consumed with the circumstances. That's what you see. It's like, oh, I'm not encouraged today. Why are you not encouraged? What are you looking at? What are you beholding? Are you occupied with the storm? Or are you seeing the Lord of the storm? What is it that's in your mind's eye? What is it that you're beholding? Where are you looking for your help? Where is the confidence of your trust? You see, in the context of this passage, praise arises because you have your eyes focused upon the thing that is a blessing to you. He says, blessed is the man whose hope is in the God of Jacob. Now, it's a really simple thing. What do you praise? What are things that you praise? Do you know why you praise? You praise because something has been a blessing to you. I mean, you think about it. You know, you got, that, you got that new vacuum. And it's awesome. You love it. You know, yours broke down a Hoover. You bought it at Target. And now you went upscale. You know, you went to the vacuum store, shelled out way too much money. And now you have heavy duty something or another. I know a lot about this. And <laughs> clearly, clearly not. And if you're vacuuming and it just... It, picks up dirt you didn't even know you had, and, and it's doing a great job. And your neighbor says, hey, I'm looking for a vacuum. What do, you, what do you do? Let me tell you about my vacuum, okay? And you go off on a praise report, singing praises about your vacuum, telling them about your vacuum. When you had a problem, there's a great warranty, and they got all these things fixed. It was great. You're going to love it, and customer service is amazing. You go through this, and you get all the reasons for why you ought to vacuum. What are you doing? You're singing the praises of something that you value, a blessing, something that's been good for you. If you run into someone who's been helpful to you, and then you meet someone else, and they, you can see that they need new help. You go, hey, I know somebody. Here's their card. Here's their number. Let me tell you. They're great. They're going to encourage you. You're going to love them, all those sort of things, right? You're seeing praises. Why do you do that? Because you can see the blessing. You've experienced it, and you can see the blessing. 
How often is it, and how hard is it sometimes to praise the Lord? Sometimes it'd be really hard. Now, now why is it hard? Because in many cases, we have not saturated our mind and the purview of our vision with the blessings that we have experienced from the Lord. And so when someone comes to us discouraged, we have the name and number of someone. We have a strategy or a philosophy to give them. But we often don't engage in talking about our God with them. We get nervous even knowing sometimes how to deal with certain situations with people. And we become overwhelmed by them because we don't think we can be all that helpful. So we try to point them to someone who will be the expert of the guru without ever actually focusing upon the one who is our true help and stay. The one who can actually bring about the change, even, even God himself. And so the realization is what you see in this passage, that's what's beautiful about this passage. From verse 6 to verse 9, you actually have all of the reasons that you can be praising the Lord and singing a song of praise to Him this morning. And it ties in gloriously to the redemption that He has won for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just note this for you briefly. If you look at verse 6, He who keeps faith forever, what that's a picture of is our covenant God, our covenant God who from before the foundation of the world set His love upon His people. And he began through the covenant of Abraham saying that he would be faithful to the promises that he has made. And you know what? He was so loving that he didn't say, I'll be faithful to the degree that you're faithful. In fact, what he said is, I'll be faithful. And guess what I know about you? You're not going to be faithful. So guess what? I'm going to be faithful for you too. And I'm going to uphold my faithfulness and I'm going to uphold your faithfulness. And I'm going to save you and I'm going to rescue you from the trap of sin and death. And I'm going to relieve you and I'm going to accomplish you because I have the power and the faithfulness and the permanence to do so. And I'm trustworthy. I will keep my faith forever. Now you know what you're experiencing? Praise. Why? Because you saw it. You're beholding the glory of the gospel. You're beholding the faithfulness of God. You're seeing that he is the one that's being spoken about here in this passage. This is why you don't put your trust in princes and prime ministers and presidents and definitely not pastors. To throw in another P. Um, in this, you put your trust in the Lord our God. He is the one who's trustworthy. Why? Because he's the one who executed perfect justice for those who were oppressed. By receiving the stroke of justice on our behalf and then lifting those of us who are downcast and who are being destroyed. He set us upon a rock that's not going to be moved. He is the one who feeds us because we are hungry. In fact, if you missed it, we're eating a meal this morning. And the meal is not that he brings us bread and wine. The meal is that he is the bread and wine. He is the one who feeds the hungry. He's the one who brings us out of bondage, not physical bondage with regards to bars and keys and latches, the kind of bondage that's deeper and more profound, the kind of bondage of sin and death. He's the one who's rescued us from that. He's the one who's opened the eyes of our blind. You see, he's the one who's done more miracles than simply touching some eyes and giving some people physical sight. It's a supernatural miracle this morning if we see anything spiritually true. And it's the Spirit of God who's done that right here in the midst of this place. Our God is being faithful to us. 
He is the one who loves the righteous. Who's the righteous one? Well, Jesus. What has the righteous one done? He is the one who died for us and credited to us. His righteousness so that when God looks at us, he sees us through the merits of Christ. He's the one who's watching over us as the sojourners who are the pilgrims in this world. How did he do that? Through Christ, who came as a pilgrim and a sojourner, leaving his home, walking this life, and has now returned. And what's he going to do? He's going to prepare a place for us. And where are we going? We're going to go home. He's going to watch us all the way there and care for us. He's the one who's upheld us when we have been fatherless and we've been widows. When those who have been weak, when we didn't have a family and we were abandoned and orphaned, he's the one who's adopted us in Christ. He calls us in Ephesians 5 his bride. We're no longer a widow. We were married to the most glorious groom imaginable. He is the one who has rescued us from the ruin of our sin. Do you know why? And you know how? He did it by being ruined for us on the cross. By taking up the end of our path and letting our sin be charged to him and having himself rent for our sake. He was ruined in the way of the wicked for our account as it was credited to us so that we who are the wicked will not be ruined. And in fact, our way will be all the way unto everlasting joy, everlasting glory, everlasting grace. You see, this is why we publicly personally and perseveringly must praise the Lord for what it is that he has done. This is why we cannot let the evening news overshadow the good news of the gospel. This is why we cannot let a low-level thing called Supreme Court change our mood because the rule in heaven has not changed, my friends. You realize it's an ever brighter day in the kingdom of God. Nothing has changed. Psalm 146 wasn't tweaked in any way between Friday and now. This is the truth. This is why we must commit our way to the confidence of the Lord Jesus Christ and not put our trust in princes, nor put our trust in ourselves, but put our trust in God, in Christ Jesus, who will right every wrong, who will bring all things to rights, who will bring glory to his name and who in that glory we will bask in and forever know the joy of the Lord. Do You see, friends, it may feel dismal and it's appropriate to lament. It's appropriate to be discouraged over sin in our own lives, in our church, and people that we love. And yes, even in our nation, it's appropriate to lament. It's not appropriate to be depressed because there is something much truer than anything that you've seen through the portals of this world this week. And it's the words that are written on the pages of Scripture in Psalm 146 and in hundreds and even thousands of other places in the Scripture. And so as we sit here in the presence of the Lord today, His ways are higher than our ways. They're mysterious. Don't always understand them. But the reason we don't understand them is that the good is so high that we can't perceive it. But one day we will. And until then, we will be patient. We will be persevering. And we will be praising 
Because we know that the hope is not lost. We know that the best is yet to come. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we ask you now for this truth of Psalm 146, read now and proclaimed in the midst of your people to have its transformative impact by the power of your Spirit. Come now and lead us as we seek to respond to your word in praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.